Hello, people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to Numbers 17. Numbers 17, any continuation of our study through the Old Testament. In Numbers 17, verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and get from them a rod, translates as an extending branch. Um, it says, from each father's house, all their leaders, according to their father's houses, 12 rods. So one for each tribe. Write each man's name on his rod, an extending branch. Remember, remember how a rod translates as an extending branch. It's very important to understand what's happening here because we've looked at in the past several weeks some very, very, very tough passages. Some uh, difficulty in uh, disobedience, unbelief, uh, rebellion. And you see how the Lord is reactionary. Through it all, you also see the response of Moses and Aaron. Um, it's beautiful to see. In the midst of this chaos that's happening in the camp, you see their resolve. You see their peace. Maybe I shouldn't say peace because you see that there's the troubling aspect of what's happening in the camp. But then at the same time, peace in terms of the Lord, how the Lord responds. And not how, not peace in how the Lord responds, but peace in knowing that the Lord is doing something. The Lord is at work. It comes at a very heavy price, a very, very heavy price in the camp of Israel. Death, you see, a, a lot of death, women, children, you know, the disobedient, the unfaithful. Understand that the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. These things written in the Old Testament, you know, if you have a mindset that's like, oh, that's that was for thousands and thousands of years ago. That's not for today. We're in the church age. We're in a new dispensation. Be very, very careful with that mentality. Don't even have that mentality because these things were written for our admonition. They were written for our warning. You know, remember, God never changes. Remember. There's that saying, you hear me say every now and then, this is something that we adopted in when I was in a, a different life, but, you know, very uh, uh, um, dangerous life. But complacency kills. Complacency kills. That's what happens when you grow complacent. You say, oh, I, oh, I'm in the church age. You know, we're under the dispensation. It's the age of peace. Don't forget, there's a coming peace in in. in in this world that is coming, that the Bible refers to as a false peace, fake peace, faux peace. It's fake. It's by the lying wonders of Satan. And people are going to fall hook, line, and sinker. It comes at a very, very heavy cost what's happening here in the, in the camp of Israel. And then all of a sudden, the Lord gives the command to Moses to speak, uh, uh, speak to the children of Israel. And from each one, e each of the father's house and all their leaders, they have them that uh, uh, they have 12 rods, you know, like big sticks. It translates as like a, 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 a an extending branch. And each one has each man's name on it, on the rod. 
And look what's happening here in verse 3. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi. Now, Aaron's rod. So look at the group of rods here. One for each, you know, 12 rods. So one for each tribe. And of the tribe of Levi, you have Aaron. And so what do we see here? We see a whole bunch of rod leaders with their rods. But then you ha have the, uh, the, the, the grouping of rods or the branches, the extending branches, consists of the leaders and a high priest. That's Aaron. And they all have their names on them, on their rods. So you have leaders and the high priest, which is Aaron. For there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting. So it's inside the, the tent of meeting. So remember that the, the, the actual walls of the of, of the of the tabernacle or you know it's the the, the the i say walls it's not like actual like brick and mortar walls it's 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 a uh, um it's the, it's the tabernacle in the wilderness so it, it's you know it's portable so that you have these walls when i say walls don't think brick and mortar that's coming that's the future tabernacle tabernacle that's coming that that solomon builds but this tabernacle is temporary in terms of God with the people during the wilderness while they're in the wilderness God is with them okay so you have the walls of the tabernacle and inside the walls you also have another structure which is the holy place and inside the holy place you also have the holy of holies okay so when the Lord says here in 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 verse 4 you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting that's inside the walls of the tabernacle so that's inside where you have the uh, um, the altar uh, that's inside and then what we have here it says you shall place them in the tabernacle of meeting before the the testimony or the ark of the testimony where I meet with you so is Moses inside the holy of holies He's most likely in the holy place or perhaps right outside the holy place because remember the holy of holies was reserved for the high priest. That's a place for the high priest. It's very important to remember that in accordance with the laws that were given, the, the, the laws that were given by the Lord. So it's most likely in the holy place, maybe outside the, the holy place, uh, but when there there's no indication of it being outside the holy place it it could be but it's it's not in the holy of holies there's, it's very important to understand what's happening here in verse 5 and it shall be that the rod remember the branch it shall be that the rod of the man whom i choose will blossom or will bloom is how it translates now you also have to remember when we look at these, these chapters, these future chapters, like we're in chapter 17 now, but I, I, I teach with the backdrop of knowing that we have this prior knowledge of what we studied. So if you're listening for the first time, start all over, you know, listen, start from numbers one. And when you're, when you're caught up, go to Leviticus and listen to all of Leviticus, or you can just start in Levit Leviticus and get yourself caught up. But when I teach, I teach with this backdrop of all the prior knowledge that we've studied. So you'll hear me, hear me reference past things. And if you're listening for the first time, you're, you're right. Well, I don't get what he's talking about. Well, you have to listen to the previous chapters. And so 
Remember here that what just happened, the, the, the people inside the camp of Israel, the, Israel, the people thought that they were of God. I mean, it's the people of the Lord, but they thought like, oh, the, the Lord speaks to us. There was this rebellion, this uprising. Oh, Moses, you think you're so holy. You think God speaks to you and God speaks to us too. And so the people can follow us. The people can listen to us. I mean, if you boil it down even further, I mean, look at the, 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 uh, the siblings of Moses, Aaron and Miriam. They even had a similar mindset. You know, oh, Moses, the Lord doesn't just speak with you. He speaks to us also. And it's true. The Lord did speak to them. But who has closer intimacy with the Lord? Do you remember when the Lord, when he uh, 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 made Miriam leprous? We studied that in chapter 12. But in chapter 12, the Lord said with Aaron and Miriam, he said to Aaron and Miriam, they both went forward and in Numbers 12, verse 6. And he said, hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. So the Lord speaks to people. The Lord speaks. I mean, the Lord is speaking to Aaron and Miriam and they have ears to hear. They're, they're listening to what the Lord is saying. Except the Lord says in chapter 12, verse 7, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? It's so beautiful when you understand Moses as a type of Christ. And the, the intimacy that you, you see when we read the, study the Gospels and you see the intimacy that the, Jesus Christ has with his Father, our Father. And then you see his authority. But even still, remember in the passages of the Gospels how Jesus Christ spoke to multitudes in parables but then he would turn to the disciples and he would turn to the disciples and break it down. And I said, he says, you know, I speak with in, in parables, but this is what the parable means. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks plainly to you and to me. Moses as a type of Christ, you see. And how the Lord Jesus Christ speaks plainly to you and to me. You see, and the word became flesh. Understand, the word became flesh. All these things that we're studying in the law, they all point to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the law. Jesus Christ is the one who say, I, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law, he says. And it's not that Moses is to be exalted. You know, like Moses, oh, you know, Moses is special. It's not to exalt him. Because remember that... Um, for Moses, that he's very, very humble. In chapter 12, verse 3, Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. So there's that unique quality, unique attribute of Moses. Among other things, but you know, we're speaking about his humility right now. His obedience. It's very interesting because what happened in the camp of Israel, they said, Oh, Moses, you think you're special. The Lord speaks to you. The Lord speaks to you and you do this. The Lord speaks to us too, Moses. So now the people can follow us, Moses. They shouldn't just follow you. And that was the rebellion of Korah. It's true that the Lord speaks to multitudes of people. He speaks to all kinds of people today, you know, rich, poor, all kinds of different colors, 
uh, you know, young, old. He speaks through his word. He has intimacy. He desires intimacy. Whether or not he has intimacy, that's between you and him. But who is it that he has intimacy with? Those are among the most beautiful people I have ever met in my life. I mean, you see it in the pages of Scripture, but the ones I've met in, in my life, the ones who have the closest intimacy with the Lord, oh my goodness, I could die with these people. Just, you know, sit down, drink tea until the day I die. You know, talk with them, pray with them, exhort one another. These are among the most beautiful people. The most beautiful people. Those are the ones, it's like, wow, you know, I like being with these people. I like being with other people too, but like there's something special. And it's not that they're to be exalted. It's that, you know, they're the first ones to get off that, you know, exaltation and exalt Christ. But it's intimacy with the Lord. Do you remember we did our study through the book of Acts? And every now and then in our study, maybe like every three chapters or so, you would hear me say the church in the book of Acts is completely different than the church you see today. Look at their intimacy. Look at their, I mean, just in the pages of Scripture or the vastness of time, look at their distance to the cross, the events of the cross. I mean, we're much further away. Look at, look at what's happened to Corinth in the span of three years. How they were babies for three years. Look at the span of Corinth that has happened for just three years. Now, fast forward 2,000 years later, give or take a couple years. Look at that gap. You see, it's like further and further and further away. Now, that's in the spans of time, but we open up the pages of Scripture and boom, we're right here. Intimacy is a choice. The Lord desires it, but you also have to desire it. And when you have intimacy with the Lord and you're obedient to His Word and His will and yielding to the Spirit, oh my goodness, put your seatbelt on. That's what I like to say. Put your seatbelt on. And praise be to the Lord. So, you know, there was this problem in the camp of Israel where people thought, oh, you know, Moses, you think you're special. You think you're special. And, you know, the Lord speaks to us. And, you know, uh, you know, hey, people, follow us. That was the rebellion of Korah. And so the Lord destroyed them. The Lord destroyed them. Killed them. A lot of people died. And so in verse 5, we see, And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom or will bloom. Thus I will rid myself, or thus I will make to cease from myself, is how it translates, of the complaints of the children of Israel. These complaints, it translates in the Hebrew as the murmuring, complaining, the grumbling, obstinacy. You know, a stubborn. Do you remember in Exodus 33? Where the Lord told Moses, hey, Moses, you know, I'll meet you at the promised land. You guys, you guys go to the promised land. I'll meet you there. You think like, wow, you know, that would have been nice that they could have got there in 11 days. They could have got there in 11 days, maybe 15, 20 days max. But Moses interceded for the people. 
He interceded for the people as a type of Christ. And then the Lord says, okay, Moses, I'll, I'll be with you, except there has to be sacrifice now. And this 11-day journey turned into 40 years because of murmuring and complaining, because of disobedience, because of unbelief, pride, this uprising, you know, this rise-up mentality against the Lord. And against Moses, but Moses was a servant of the Lord. Moses is whom the Lord was using. And Moses as a type of Christ, you see. The Lord killed them. He destroyed them. Very, very difficult passages that we've studied the past several weeks. And you see what happens through disobedience, what happens through unbelief. And so we see here, the Lord is saying, I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you, against Moses. He's telling Moses in, in, in Moses' special moment of intimacy that he has with the Lord. Remember in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses. And he's giving him instruction. Verse 2, speak to the children of Israel. But he's still giving Moses these instructions. So we're getting a little sneak peek into the intimacy that the Lord is having with Moses. And he says, you know what? These people make complaints against you. They murmur and complain against you. And the Lord is saying, I will rid myself of their complaining. You see a picture of God standing for Moses. Yeah. Then you start to understand the reciprocal aspect of standing up for the Lord. Standing up for righteousness and standing up for the name of Jesus Christ. Just as scripture says, if God be for you, who can be against you? Romans 8.31 If God be for us, who can be against us? But if we boil it down... If God before you, who can be against you? Let God be true and every man a liar. Look at these past several chapters when we look at Moses and Aaron. Remember, you hear me mention the old guys? The old guys, when there was all this uprising, multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people. And then we look to the old guys. What were they? They were on their face before the Lord. Moses and Aaron on their faces before the Lord. Can you imagine if these guys, Moses, not these guys, not to speak disrespectfully, but can you imagine if these two old guys, if they were people pleasers, if they were man pleasers instead of God pleasers, if they wanted to appease the masses, Moses and Aaron not falling on their faces before the Lord, just standing there and being like, oh, you know what? You're right. You guys are the lead. You guys are leaders. You guys are among the leadership in the tribe of Israel. So, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll hear what you have to say. I'll go ahead and do this. I'll go ahead and do that. I'll go ahead and be disobedient. Remember, we highlighted the disobedience. Last week, when you see how when the Lord killed Korah and his followers, then you start to see a picture of, wait a second, they were doing things in disobedience. That they were Pride was one thing, but what it led to? was disobedience. And what if Moses and Aaron were people pleasers? They love the Lord, but they love people more. What would happen? They fear the Lord, but they fear the people more. Oh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, let's go ahead. The Lord said to use Levites. The Lord said that Kohanim were like this. The Lord said that the Levitical priesthood were like this. But yeah, let's go ahead. You of the tribe of Reuben, you want to serve? Okay. You of the tribe of Dan? Okay, here. 
You can be a priest. You see, Manasseh, you, tribe of Manasseh, come here. You want to be a priest? Okay, here. People pleasers. Man pleasers. You see, and no, Moses and Aaron, they were on their faces before the Lord. If the people want to be disobedient, if the people want to have unbelief, if the people want to uh, be unfaithful, that's on them. Moses and Aaron, no, I'm on my face before the Lord. An Old Testament example of a remnant. Even today, in the age, the church age, which is coming to a close. In the church age, multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people are going to be disobedient, are going to be unfaithful, are going to have unbelief. I'm speaking about the The world is the world. I mean, the world, that's Canaanites, Hittites, Jebusites. That's the world. I'm talking about in the camp. You're still going to find these things. Disobedience, unbelief, unfaithfulness. The works of the flesh. You're going to see it. It's going to happen just as it happened in Corinth. But not among the remnant. Not among the remnant. The remnant is being sharpened. The remnant is being purified. The remnant is being refined as through fire. And God is standing up for Moses. Here in, in, in these passages. See, I, I will read, he says in verse 5, I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which, which they make against you. And we see as New Covenant believers, the Lord is going to stand up for the church. It's, it's going to come at a heavy price. When you read the events of the last days, when you read the prophecies of the last days, it's going to come at a heavy price. But it also came at a heavy price for Israel. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. In verse 6, so Moses spoke to the children of Israel. So now you see his obedience. The Lord, you know, in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses. In verse 2, speak to the children of Israel. The Lord is done giving him instruction. I mean, in this particular passage, the Lord is, you know, he's done giving him instruction. And now you see the obedience of Moses. Moses spoke to the children of Israel now. That's what's so beautiful about obedience. To do what you're told. We are a people. We just do what we're told. Obedience. Now, who's telling us? The Lord. The Word became flesh. We are the ones who yield to the Word of God. We are the ones who yield to the Spirit of the Lord. Not the other way around. That's a choice. Obedience to the Lord is a choice. You see, it's very important to get in this not just mindset, but this heart set, this hand set, this feet set of being obedient. How the Lord uses people, how the Lord uses us. And so Moses, in his obedience, he spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece or a branch apiece 
for each leader according to their father's houses, twelve rods, and the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness. So you see his obedience now. Moses isn't just doing whatever he wants. You see his obedience. He's not just, oh, I, I, I think the Lord wants me to do this. I think this seems right. I think this, this kind of sounds kosher. No, he's doing everything in obedience to the Lord. The Lord told him what to do, and now he's doing it. He's not a hearer of the Lord only. He's a doer of the word of the Lord. What the Lord spoke to him. What are we told to do? To not be hearers only, but to be doers. That's what you see in verse 7. You see his obedience now. Not just obedience in speaking, but his, in, his obedience in speaking is in verse 6. His obedience in doing is in verse 7. We have to see these things. Do you know why? It helps us in our walk. Because you see, the Lord speaks to Moses, how the Lord uses Moses. But understand, when we study the book of Hebrews, you understand that Moses was a servant in the master's house. I mean, we studied that, in, if, if you remember our study through Hebrews, but I'll read it again in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4. Every ho- for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant. You see, as a servant. For a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ is a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. You see? So Moses is a servant. Let's go back to numbers now. So you see his obedience unto the Lord, that of Moses. And he's not just, he's doing exactly what the Lord instructed him through intimacy. And that's what's so beautiful about your intimacy with the Lord. And not just, you have to have your Bible. It's not just like you you sit in your quiet place and just meditate. I mean, to meditate, I mean, it, 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 not, you, know, you meditate, but it's of godly things. Like in Philippians 4, 8, meditate on these things. Well, what do we meditate on? You know, whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. That's what the Christian meditates on. I'm not talking about meditation like Hare Krishna's. You know, I'm not talking about that type of meditation or yoga. You know, all this evil, this Eastern mysticism, evils and abominations unto the Lord. Lord. No, it's, it's nothing like that. Meditation, there's Christian meditation, but it's meditation, not meditation like, you know, doing the evil stuff. But meditate on whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy. How do we know those things? How do we understand those things? We get them from the Word of God. How do we know what's true? We learn from the Word of God. How do we know what's noble? We learn from the Word of God. What is just? We learn from the Word of God. What is pure? We learn from the Bible. What is lovely? We learn from the Bible. Of good report? We learn from the Word. Virtuous? We learn from the Bible. Praiseworthy? We learn from the Word of God. And the Word became flesh. We learn from Jesus Christ. 
People say, meditate, meditate. Oh, yeah, I meditate. But no, it's not none of this yoga, Hare Krishna stuff. Eastern mysticism, which is growing in the church. It's very rampant in the church. They call it, you know, white occult, the, the uh, white Ouija boards. The Ouija boards of, uh, 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 of uh, what do they call that? Like uh, white witchcraft. They try to make it seem like instead of like black magic, they call it white magic. It's, it's coming into the church, the occult. Don't do that. The only way you will know these things if in your intimacy, you have your Bible open. And you have to read. You have to be a Berean. And you have to understand these things. Because the Lord will teach you. He will show you. And then you pray. And you have intimacy with Him. And in your intimacy, the Lord will show you. The Holy Spirit will teach you. Just as 1 Corinthians teaches us. How the Holy Spirit teaches. And so now you see God instructing Moses. through, And not just here. We, I mean, in, in passages past that we study. And in future passages, we're going to see it. And not just with Moses. We're going to see it with Joshua, with Ezra, with Ruth, with Paul, with Peter, with those in the household of Chloe. You see it among the remnant. Old Testament and New Testament. You see it among the remnant. Obedience. In verse 8. Now it came to pass on the next day. That Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi had sprouted and put forth buds. Translates as it sprouted and bloomed, had produced blossoms and not just blossoms. It translates in Hebrew as glistening bright flowers. How beautiful is this? And not just sprouted and bloomed, not just glistening bright flowers, but yielded ripe almonds. You see? It's like, well, it's not just the buds. It's, it's not little tiny buds. Okay, you know, maybe there's a little bit of nutrients in this branch. And okay, I understand that. A little thing sprouted. No. Bright flowers. And not just bright flowers. Almonds. And not in the course of a month or two weeks or a week. The very next day. And not just that. Remember, these are branches which were detached from a tree. There's no source of like water. You don't have like a, 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 a horticulturist that's saying, okay, we got to tie this and make sure that this branch has nutrients so then it can bud in two weeks. So we can have flowers in a month or we can have almonds in two months. No, the very next day, the very next day, bright glistening flowers and almonds from a branch of Aaron, the tribe of Levi. And the Lord is telling the people, remember verse 5? It shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. You see, Aaron. He's pointing to Aaron, the high priest. You know what I love so much about this? Not to, you know, I don't want to, you know, but the past is the past. But don't forget, Aaron made the golden calf you know not to pick an old wound you know rip the scab off nothing like that at all but let us be a people that remembers the fall of Aaron great 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 sin that he did 
unto himself, but unto the people, the sin that he caused in the camp of Israel by constructing, by instructing the golden calf. They bring your gold, bring your gold, and, and then fashioning the golden calf, and then lying about it. An image, a false image. The great sin that he brought in the camp of Israel. You say, whoa, how, why didn't the Lord kill, kill Aaron? You want to know why? Repentance. Repentance. Look at the past of Aaron, what was in his past. This great, great sin. And how it became forgotten. Through repentance. And the same can be said of you. Repent. All through the Old Testament, Old Testament and New Testament. Repent, repent, repent. When the people fall, when the people are referred to as whores, whores, harlots, a people who God loves, and then you get to the minor prophets, and he says, you know, he, refer, he calls the prophets, he says, thus saith the Lord, you are prostitutes. You are whores. You know, he says, tell, tells the prophets, tell this to Israel, tell this to Judah, because you've played the harlot. Other gods, idolatry in the camp of Israel. And it's not just, you know, put a period there. No, he keeps telling the, the prophets, you know, thus saith the Lord, return to me. Thus saith the Lord, repent. Repent, 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 repent. Old Testament, New Testament, that, that's what we see. The beautiful, beautiful theme of the Bible. Repentance. Being right with the Lord. And now in the aftermath of repentance, this same guy who constructed the golden image, the golden calf, this same guy, physically, I mean, with carnal eyes, the same guy, but with spiritual eyes, not the same guy. Not the same guy at all. You see how beautiful repentance is? With carnal eyes, you might be the same lady. You might be the same girl. You might be the same guy, the same boy. Old lady, old guy. With carnal eyes, you might look exactly the same. But with spiritual eyes, with eyes of the spirit, you're a different guy. You're a different gal. Because you're born again. Your sin is forgotten. You see? What were your golden calves? And now look how Aaron is being used today. Sometimes, you know, we can be hindered. You know, I like to say every now and then, you know, if you're driving on the freeway and you have your eyes stuck on the rearview mirror, you're going to crash. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt those who are in the vehicle with you. You're going to kill somebody on the street, a pedestrian, somebody riding their bike, somebody taking a walk. You're going to run over their dog. You're going to kill their family, you know, a family on their bikes. You're going to run over them and kill them. You're going to crash into a car, fly through the windshield, and the other people are going to die too. That's what happens if you have your eyes stuck in the rearview mirror. You're driving on the freeway and your eyes are looking up in the rearview mirror. That's dangerous. No, the rearview mirror in a vehicle is used for reference, for frame of reference. You can see certain things. You might see a guy's tail tailing you. You might see... You know, make sure it's clear before you change lanes. But it's just for a momentary look. It's not to help you go forward. 
It's just a brief momentary look. Okay, you know, this is clear. I'm, I'm clear to change lanes. This side's clear. I'm clear to change lanes. But if you keep your eyes in the rear view mirror, you're going to die. So I only reference Aaron and the golden calf as, you know, a brief reference point. And your sin, the same could be said of your past sin. I don't care how egregious it was. I don't care how major you might think it is. To the Lord? What are you talking about? Remember, as far as the east is from the west, He takes your sin, you repent, He takes your sin and throws it in the sea of forgetfulness. Oh, but I did this, you know, I did this. It was like a federal crime and it was this and the penalty is this. Did you repent? Yeah, I did. You know what the Lord says? I don't know what you're talking about. Mankind might be like, oh, I can't believe you did that. Oh, I, I can't believe uh, You, in your heart of hearts, you might say, I can't believe I did that. But if it's repented of, you know what the Lord says? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. It's forgotten. Past is prologue. Remember that. Past is prologue. Sometimes the past, if you have your eyes stuck in the rearview mirror, it hinders you, it prevents you from going forward. And that's what Satan wants. Satan delights in that. You know why? Because you're not going forward. And if you're not going forward, you know how easy of a target you're going to be? Past this prologue. Now, if your sin is not repented of, that's a, no, a whole other issue. You need to repent. Or, yeah, you know, I committed this egregious sin. Did you repent? Yeah. Okay, praise the Lord. Are you still doing it? Yeah? Okay, we got issues. Go and sin no more. Don't forget Jesus Christ told the woman caught in adultery. Woman, where are your accusers? Go and sin no more, he tells her. It's not that you can be in an egregious sin and then repent. I mean, you can't, can't do that. And that's beautiful. And be alive in Christ. And then continue in that sin. No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. You cannot continue in that sin. Because that sin is now atoned for, repented of. And just as Jesus Christ told the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. That's how we grow. Look at the church in Corinth with their arrested development, with their state of babyhood. You see? Homosexuality, sexual sin, heterosexual sin, cheating, covetous, thieves, all these things. And Paul says, such were some of you. Not such are some of you. Such were some of you. Past tense. I really don't care what your past sin was. If you're listening for the first time, you don't know anything about Jesus Christ, and you're just curious, you want to know, you're, you're hearing. I, I really don't care what your present sin is. But I will say this, repent and be born again. Receive Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. If that's you, hit pause and then listen to the message, How to Receive Jesus Christ as Your Lord and Savior, and then come back and listen. 
and grow and let's move on to perfection. I don't care. What whatever prostitute, drugs, sex, rock and roll, alcohol, whatever. I really don't care. You come to Christ, you come to the cross. And you will not be the same. Satan will try to get you to be the same. No, but it's time for training. You need to learn how to fight. Being trained and equipped for the work of the ministry. What is the ministry? I don't know. But as you grow, as you mature, as you train, as you're equipped, the Lord will call you into ministry. Or you might have a need that arises in a fellowship and, you know, it's choose from among you. Good witness, Holy Spirit, wisdom, faith, not warm bodies. We studied that on Sunday. And we didn't, I mean, we touched on it on Sunday. It wasn't our focal study. And that's what's so beautiful about what the Lord can do in the life of anyone. Male, female, young, old, I don't care. But look at Aaron. Remember, the Lord says in verse 5, the man I choose, the man whom I choose, his rod will blossom. You see? And whose rod is blossoming? Aaron's. In verse 8. And it's not just, it's not just, a stick, a, a branch that's just laying there. Understand, they're in the wilderness. It's like desert. They're in the straight-up desert. They have these branches not attached to a tree. And it's not just like a branch that has a little bit of nutrients in it and you see it like a little, little tiny bud. No, this is straight up blossoming like a bush, like like glistening bright flowers. And it has almonds on the very next day. You see? No water. No water source. It's not like, you know, it has like a little baggie at the end of it where it has all these nutrients, nice soil. You know, if you, you, you go to the nursery and you buy a soil, not the cheap soil. The expensive soil that's like very rich in nutrients where like your plants, your flowers, your garden just blossoms like crazy. And it, it's not like, you know, it takes several days, a week, maybe two weeks, depending on what kind of flower, depending on what kind of seeds. Not the expensive soil. Or, you know, you have cheap soil, expensive soil. This has no soil and they're in the desert. No water source. They're in the desert. And you have this branch on the very next day. It's just like, boom, a luscious bush. With almonds. Ripe almonds, not little baby almonds that, you know, oh, this will be ready to go in a couple days, in a week or two weeks. No, the very next day, ripe almonds. That's who the Lord chose, the rod of Aaron. The one who, in the rearview mirror of Aaron, constructed a golden calf and worshipped the golden calf and led this the people in great sin. And now look at him. Changed. Being used of the Lord. Chosen by the Lord. You see? Past this prologue. The Lord does it with you too. I don't care what. What is it in your rearview mirror? Who cares? It needs to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. 
And if it's covered in the blood of the Lamb, praise be to the Lord. Let's move on to perfection. In verse 9, Then Moses brought out all the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. So all, all the bran- they're all brought out. And the branches look exactly the same as they did yesterday, except for one, that of Aaron. And the people saw, and now the people see. They understand, okay, wow, okay, the rod of Aaron. The very next day, they see all these things, a big, huge, luscious branch with, with almonds. And it's got, you know, Aaron's name on it. Now the people see. Now, it's very interesting because the people see it now and you say, wait a second, is that a good thing that the people see? Well, yeah, I understand. It is good that the people see it. But don't forget. The people were told before who God was with. They were told. I mean, yeah, it's, they're, they're seeing it and it's, it's, it's good that they're seeing it and that there's this beautiful aspect of what the Lord is showing them. But don't forget, he, he told them. He told the people. He, he, the people know that he's Kohanim. He's high priest. They know that his two sons were killed. Taken because they offered strange fire. The people know. And even with two sons killed because they offered strange fire, that didn't cause Aaron to step down and be like, oh, this is too much a heavy cost. You know, Lord, I love you, but you're going to take my kids from me, so I'm not going to serve you anymore. No. Aaron is still serving with his other kids. He knows that, you know, he counted the cost. I'm not trying to gloss over that like, oh, it's no big deal that his two sons are dead. No, they offer strange fire. They're responsible for their own vessel, their own temple that they want to present to the Lord. And they want to present strange fire to the Lord. The Lord killed them through fire, with fire. The people saw all this. They, 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 they know what's happened. Some of them, the ones that are still alive, they were worshiping the golden calf that Aaron fashioned. That Aaron told them, give me your gold so that I can make this. And now Aaron, his rod is, has, has blossomed. And it's good that the people are seeing it, but why didn't they believe it when they were told? I mean, have you ever been in a position of authority you're in a position of authority, say like as a, a parent or a teacher or, you know, whatever. And those who are under you, you like say like a, 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 a five-year-old is like begs of you. Show me, show me this, show me this. Show me that you can lift up 20 pounds. That kid says, oh, I can only lift up 10 pounds. And show me that you can lift 30 pounds or 50 pounds or 100 pounds. And you told the kid, like, I told you I could do it. And the kid's like, no, 
I, I, I know you told me that I could do, that you could do it, but show me. And then you pick up, you know, the 20 pounds, 30, 40, 50, 100, whatever. You pick it up like, look, here, you see it. Look. And it's cool that the kid is seeing it. It's, 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 it's nice that the kid is seeing it, but why didn't they believe when you told them? You see? There's something deeper that's happening here. Yes, the Lord is... Not just showing himself, he's showing whom that he's choosing. Remember, he, he says, like, you know, I, Moses is, is my guy. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know, in, in, in chapter 12, verse 7, when he says, Not so with my servant Moses, he is faithful in all my house. But then at the same time, it's not just Moses, it's Moses and Aaron now, the high priest. Moses as a type of Christ. And Aaron as a type of Christ. Moses who intercedes for the people. Aaron who intercedes for the people as high priest. A foreshadowing of the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ. You see? Moses as a type of Christ. I don't want to sound blasphemous in saying this, but what about you as a type of Christ? What about you as a type of Christ? And not you per se, like, you know, you are Christ, but you, Christ in you. You in Christ and Christ in you. What about you as a type of Christ, my friend? And so, in that example of a kid saying, well, you know, I know you told me you could lift 30 pounds. I know you told me you could lift 50 pounds, but show me. And, you know, you pick up the weight, you whatever, and you lift it. And you're like, look, I told you I could do this. And the kid's like, wow, marveling. Like, well, oh, my goodness. Wow, that's so cool. And I get that. You know, it is kind of neat. But then, like, why, why didn't the kid believe you? When... You told him, like much prior, much, much, much prior, you told the Lord, you, you told the kid. So like in chapter 14, verse 11, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me or despise me and abhor me? How long will these people reject me? He says, he asks, and how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them. You see? It's kind of sad. It's kind of sad. Like, what's happening? Like, it, it takes sight to believe. And you know, I remember what with, with with doubting Thomas. Turn really with me really quick to uh, let me pull it up in um, John chapter twenty. In John twenty verse twenty four. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when with when Jesus came. So what happened here in? In this particular passage, you know, the Lord revealed himself to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there with them. Thomas wasn't among them. 
And so Thomas came back and the people, they, they were like, hey, Thomas, you know, uh, uh, we saw the Lord. And, and so the, the Thomas, you know, he says, what? They, they, he thought they were crazy. And so in, in, in verse 25, the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of nails and, and, I, and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He gave them an ultimatum. You guys have seen. I mean, he didn't believe what they told. His, the, one of the disciples, Thomas, he didn't believe what they, they... I mean, all these things that the Lord told them prior to this, what, this event, and not just what the Lord said, what the disciples said, and, and even Thomas didn't believe. He says, I don't believe you guys. He had this backdrop of knowing what the Lord said and this new backdrop of knowing what the disciples themselves are saying. We saw him, Thomas. Why, why do I have reason to lie to you, Thomas? And Thomas, I'm not going to believe. I will not believe unless I see with my own eyes. And not just see. I, I, I need to put my finger into the print of, uh, put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side. Then I'll believe. And after eight days, Eight days, remember circumcision. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Whoa. The doors being shut. So it wasn't like the door was open and he walked in. The doors were being, the doors were already shut and then boom, shalom. Shalom, peace to you. Red letters. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. You see? Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you and that's me. You abide in Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ. I haven't seen him. You haven't seen him. I mean, with your eye. I mean, you, 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 you've seen him in the word. You open up your Bible. You read the word and you see him if you have eyes to see. But praise be to the Lord. That's faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things unseen. And you have that. And you see Christ with your spiritual eyes. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. You see Christ with your spiritual eyes and you believe. Blessed are you. That's what the Lord says. It just blows me away so much because you see the people here in the camp of Israel. Let's go back to number 17. And you see these how unbelief is so not just restrictive for them i mean i say restrictive but wow i mean that that doesn't even that that that's like a very cheesy way of saying it because because of their unbelief their 11 days turned into 40 years also look at all the people who have died so far in the wilderness. 
You have Korah, those who followed him. Uh, you have uh, 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 um, the multitude with the plague, the, 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 the people in the, uh, the, the plague that happened in our study last week. There's going to be more death in the wilderness. It's the first generation that dies in the wilderness. It's the next generation that goes on to the promised land. 11 days became 40 years. You see? Wow. And so look what happens here. If we look at verse um, 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels. Whoa, you see? So Aaron's... Aaron's branch there that he's, that's now it's like a big blossom you know a whole bunch of flowers on it bright glistening flowers and ripe with almonds this rod the Lord says bring it back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels translates as the bitter rebels that's what we studied last week the rebellion of Korah and his followers those who followed those who believed him oh yeah you know what Korah you're right the Lord doesn't just speak to Moses. The Lord speaks to you too. Oh, you know what? The Lord can speak to us too. So therefore, let us lead ourselves. Korah, you be the leader of us. We're going to follow you, Korah. I'm not a Levite, but I want to be a Levite. I'm not, a I'm not of the Kohanim, but I want to be of the Kohanim. If it just feels right. Oh, this is, this is your truth, Korah. This is your truth, you see? It's such a trip because there's nothing new under the sun. That's what we see today. Oh, Korah, this is your truth. Dathan, this is your truth. Abiham, this, or Abiram, this is your truth. Whatever seems right to you. If this is true to you, then you know what? You do you. That's your truth. No, there's only one truth. It's the truth of the Holy Bible. That's the only one truth. Every other thing is a lie from the pit of hell. Straight up. One truth. One truth. Quides veritus. Remember? There's only one truth. Or quides veritas. One truth. When Pilate was staring Jesus Christ right in the face. Oh, what is your truth? If that's your truth, then you know what? You do you. It's very common. It's very It's the Antichrist spirit. The spirit of Antichrist is alive and well. What is your truth? Teachers telling kids, what is your truth? Psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists telling their patients, telling you know the people that need help, what is your truth? Okay, you, you want to be a giraffe? Okay, if that's your truth, you're a giraffe. What? It's crazy town. That's the ways of the world. And it's coming into the church. It's in the church. Pastors are teaching it now. So-called pastors. I call them hirelings and wolves. Oh, if that's your truth, you want to be a giraffe? Okay, you're a giraffe. Praise be to the Lord. No, that's crazy town. Praise be to who? That's an idol. You can't say the Lord. Because the Lord is in the word of God, the Bible. Praise be to your idol. Oh, pastor. O elder, O deacon, O bishop. Praise be to your idol. 
hireling wolf. Oh, praise be to the Lord. The Lord is truth. Now, if that's you, if you have this mindset of like, oh yeah, my truth, I'm, I'm you know, whatever my truth is, therefore it shall be. No, you need to repent. You need to repent and align your life with the word of God. Real truth. The only truth. Remember, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through Him. Not through Mary, not through Buddha, not through Hare Krishnas. No. Jesus Christ. And so look what happens here. We see here in, in uh, uh, going back to Numbers 17, in verse 10, And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, which is the bitter rebels, is how it translates. But then at the same time, it also begs the question, wait a second, so now you have this sign. Remember last week what we studied in chapter 16? In chapter 16, verse 38, says the censors of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they are holy and they shall be a sign to the children of Israel. So this covering is a sign to the people. So Eliezer, the priest, took the bronze censers, which were which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial, a reminder, it translates as a record to the children of Israel that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord that he might not be like Korah and his companions just as the Lord had said to him through, the, through Moses. So you see, a reminder this covering on the on the altar, a reminder for the people. And so now in chapter 17, verse 10, we see that Aaron's rod is another reminder to be kept as a sign against the rebels. But this placement, because of this placement, how it's brought back before the testimony, because of its location of where it was, was to be, who would see it? The priests. The people would see the altar and the covering on the altar as for them to remember. But for the priest, they would see Aaron's rod and they would remember the bitter rebellion of Korah. The bitter rebellion of Korah. You see? Turn with me really quick to the book of John. John chapter 3. John 3. And here in John 3, verse 16, we all know John 3, 16, very popular. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation 
that the light has come into the world. This is, this is a fact. This has already happened, that light has come into the world. That's Jesus Christ. Light has come into the world. And he says this in verse 19. And men loved darkness rather than the light. You know what this translates? Men loved darkness more than the light. You see? Because their deeds were evil. Deeds. The works. The works of their hands. The steps of their feet. The thoughts of their mind. Their deeds were evil. You see? You know, we live in a day and age where the world is the world. But the church, inside the church, we get this idea. I don't... We get this idea where nobody can see me, nobody can see me, without remembering that the Lord sees all. People, they try to get away with this, they try to get away with that, and the Lord sees all. He knows the deeds. You ever hear somebody be so sorry? Oh, I'm sorry about this, I'm sorry about that. But they're only sorry because they got caught. Their deeds were exposed had their deeds not been exposed, they would still be doing this, that, whatever. Without remembering that the Lord sees all, their deeds are already exposed. Their deeds are already exposed. You see? Men love darkness rather than the light. Men love darkness more than the light. In verse 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth, not just hearers of the truth. If you're a teacher, if you teach the Bible, you give truth. The truth of God's holy word. You give truth. You teach truth. Whether or not somebody hears the truth. I mean, you teach the truth and people hear the truth. But what happens once... Once that seed goes in their ear holes, that's out of your control. You can pray, but that's out of your control. That's between the hearer and God. That's, that's between them and the Lord. And then whether or not those individuals, what happens to that seed, Satan might come and take away that seed. The cares and the riches of this life might take away that seed. So it's Satan or their own doing. That's, that's between them and the Lord. You teach truth. And whether or not that person, that's what happens to that seed, results in them believing truth, loving truth, and also doing truth. You see, verse 21, but he who does the truth, not just hears the truth, does the truth, comes to the light. That his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God, you see, this is light and darkness. That's what light, I mean, put a plant in the darkness. You know what's going to happen? It's going to die. No light, no sunlight. It's going to die. And even in darkness, like if you put a plant in a dark room, you're going to see the plant like change. It's, if you put a plant in a dark room and then you're going to, like it's just straight, just a black room, it's going to die. No light. But if you put it in a dark room, but then you have like a little pinhole that's that's like, you know, in the wall or in the window, you have this little opening of sunlight, you're going to see that plant like stretch. It's going to lean and it's going to stretch for that light. You see? And depending on the size, depending on the growth stage, it might still die because of the root. 
It's going to stretch and stretch and stretch, but you know what? It's going to die. It's going to reach for that light. You got to give it water. Expose it to the light. You see? How beautiful is it that the Lord teaches us these things? How He expands and grows our faith if we are willing. Let's go back to Numbers. In Numbers 17, so now you have a a, a sign for the people, which is the altar, and now you have a sign for the priests. The priests to remember the rebellion of Korah. Remember verse 10, And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels, which is the bitter rebels, and it's a sign for the priests. And you know what? One of the, the hardest, hardest parts of ministry, I can only speak for me personally, but if you're in ministry, you know, ministry is like, you don't think like, oh, it's a title, you know, like this guy thinks he's like, you know, uh, the pastor, the elder, the bishop, he gets special parking spaces. No, 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 no. Like if you're a parent, that's ministry. You know, ministry is all kinds of different, you know, helps ministry, works ministry. There's all kinds of different ministries. The, the, Lord, the Lord will guide. But the hardest part of ministry is disobedience. For me, in my heart of hearts. I mean, we can speak for oneself and say like, you know, when there's an aspect of disobedience, you need to repent immediately. Immediately you need to repent so that you can be right with the Lord. But then when you see disobedience, when you see it, and you can say, oh, this is just little. It's no big deal. It's just like a little white lie. But it's difficult to see. It's difficult to witness in the camp of the church. It's difficult. You know why? Because of what it leads to. People say, oh, it's just a little white line. No big deal. No, do you know what that leads to? I mean, imagine telling children, oh, it's just a little white lie. No big deal. And then so your kid learns in their head, okay, my, my mom and dad, they tell these little white lies. So I'm going to tell these little white lies. And then Satan whispers in his ear, Satan whispers in her ear, oh, you know, your parents thought that this was a little white lie, but you know, this, see this uh, crack pipe over here? That, that's a little white lie. It's okay. You know, you don't have to tell your parents. Just tell a little white lie. You see, that's, it varies. You know, Satan is a master tricker. The father of lies. It's a murder from the beginning. What you call a little white lie, somebody else might call a huge lie. And what somebody calls a huge white lie, you might say, oh, no, this is a little white lie. But a lie is a lie. So the kid gets in his head, gets in her head. Okay, little white lies are okay. They call them white lies, you know, just like like the uh, 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 apostates say, oh, it's just white magic. It's just just a, a, a white Ouija board. Yeah, I'm not. It's it's a Ouija board, but I'm not talking to demons. I'm talking to angels. It's still demons, disguised as angels who disguise themselves as angels of light. But such a person is so foolish they can't discern. They think the angel is speaking to me, unbeknownst to them, it's Satan, it's a demon, because you have fools, idiotes in the Greek, which is Greek for idiot, stupid fools. Oh yeah, I just do my Christian Ouija board. And I'm going to speak to angels. No, you think they're angels. It's demons. 
and the occult comes in the home. See? So the kids get acclimated to this. Oh yeah, a little white line, no big deal. Oh yeah, white, white Ouija board. They try to make it seem nice by saying white. They add white to it. Oh yeah, this is a little white line, little white occult, little white Ouija board. You know, little white pornography. You see, little white crack pipe. You see? So they, little white alcohol. I just tell a little white lie. This white angel. It's a demon from the pit of hell. You don't know it. Because you haven't been trained. You haven't tested the spirit. Who's taught you to test the spirits? Well, the Bible teaches it. You have to be a Berean to understand these things. So the kids, beautiful, beautiful, sweet, innocent kids growing up in the, in the home of the idiotes. They start learning, okay, this is a little white lie, so okay, now I'm going to do this. And my parents said this was a white lie, but now this is a little bit bigger, but you know what? It still falls under that you know, classification of a little white lie. And look what is begotten in the next generation. Think about their kids. And their adults telling little... They get married. I'm just going to tell a little white lie to my spouse. No big deal. My parents did it. You know, once saved, always saved. No big deal. Oh yeah, I can take the mark of the beast too. I'll still be saved. You see? Oh, let me do my little white Ouija boards. Let me talk to the little white angels. You see, it gets worse and worse and worse. So, you know, we get this idea in our head that, you know, it's just a little sin. But no, what it leads to. What is it that it leads to? And that's the hardest part of ministry. It's very, very difficult because you see these little things and you know what it leads to. You still have to teach truth. You still have to teach truth. Even the big stuff, you still have to teach truth. You can't shy away from truth. And when I say it's the hardest part of ministry because you know what it leads to, but then at the same time, you don't say, oh, you, you think you know it all, you think you know everything. No, it, it's not that at all. You just read the Bible. You know what happened with Israel. You know what happened with Aaron. You see, you know what happens with uh, 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 Simon. Remember the Simon who wanted to, not, not Cephas. The other Simon who thought he could buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. Buy the, the, the you know, oh, you know, give me, you know, how much do you want? And so that I can do these works of the Spirit. They can do these miracles too. You see? You read the scriptures. You know what it leads to? I mean, you see somebody, a brand new believer in Christ, you rejoice. And then you tell that person, look, you know, you're a baby, you're on milk. You know, praise be to God. You know, everybody starts out as a baby. The, the world, the natural world testifies of this. You start out as a baby, but then you have to grow. You have to mature. So you see a new believer and you can encourage him. You can encourage her and say, yes, you know, let's grow. Let's mature in Christ. Let's move on to perfection. 
If it's a year later and they're still talking about the elementary things of Christ, if it's five years later and they're still talking about the elementary things of Christ, if it's 10, 20 years later and they're still talking about the elementary things of Christ, then you know how to respond. You know what to say. I mean, not just how to respond and what to say, but you know what's happening. Why? Because you yourself have matured. What's happening here? Maybe this guy loves darkness more than he loves the light. Let me correct him. Let me correct her. In a spirit of gentleness. And you're not a hypocrite. You're not carnal. You who are non-carnal, restore such a soul, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. You see? The Word of God teaches us. That's part and parcel of warfare. Spiritual warfare. I mean, there's aspects of warfare. This is one of those aspects. Just like in the book of Jude, saving people as through fire, making the distinction. And saving people as through fire. In order to make the distinction, you have to be a Berean. You have to know so that you can make the distinction. Very interesting how we see these passages in the Old Testament. And a reminder for the priests in verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. Now this, <laughs> that is scary what is being said here. You know how scary this is? The, the people are going to complain. They're murmuring and complaining. But the Lord says that you may put their complaints away from me. You see, before, in the previous chapters, what we studied, the Lord put the complaints away from him. But now he's telling Moses that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. Moses, their life is in your hands. Priests, their life is in your hands. So the priests, they, they come out of the holy place, they do the altar. I mean, not to say they do the altar, like, you know, I'm minimizing it. You know, as, as, I'm not advocating the law either because the fulfillment of the law, I advocate Christ. But to paint a picture here, the priests come out of the holy, you know, they, they, they do their worship in the, in, the, in the holy place and they come out, people, you know, they, 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 they present their offerings. And then, you know, that they, the burnt offering, everything that we study in Leviticus, it happens. And then the people go home, they go back to their tents, and then the priests there, they do the cleanup. They're going in the holy pit, in the holy, in the holy place, not the holy of holies, but they're going in the holy place. They're doing their form of worship. And as they're going in and out, what do they see? This rod of Aaron. As a reminder, as a reminder to them that they remember the complaints, they remember the sin of the rebel, the sign of the rebel, of the rebels, the the bitter rebels, Korah and those who followed Korah. It's so that they can remember, and not just so that they can remember. Just like verse ten says, that you may put their complaints away from me, lest they die. The responsibility of the priesthood. The responsibility of the high priest. I'm not advocating the law, but in accordance to the law. The responsibility that the priests have. 
Now, if you're a teacher of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, the full counsel of the Word of God, old interpreting new, new interpreting old, what is your responsibility? You see? You cannot candy coat the Word of God. You cannot. You must not candy coat the Word of God. I mean, you know, love people. That's biblical. Love people. But you can never love people more than the Lord. Never, never, never. You can never love people more than the Lord. It's always the Lord number one. You love Him. And in loving Him and being obedient to Him, you're loving the people because it's... The love for the people is a byproduct of loving the Lord. Not the other way around. Because when the people become God, when the people become Lord, all kinds of messes happen. Look at the Lutherans. Look at the Methodists. Look at the Episcopals. Look at what happened to them. Look at Christian Christian universities. So-called Christian universities. But you look at the founding, the founders, the founding documents of Christian universities. It's very... Beautiful, innocuous, all the best of intentions, classic Christian education, the best of intentions, but in the course of time became corrupt. Everything became corrupt and it was corrupted by the corruptor. His name is Satan. Lucifer, Beelzebub, that serpent of old, who presents presents himself as an angel of light to deceive. Oh, I was never taught about spiritual warfare. I was never taught to discern the spirits. So therefore, I'm going to do my little white Ouija boards. I'm going to do my my little white lies. I'm going to do my little white crack pipe. I'm going to do my little white pornography. I was never taught about this. You see? You have to be a Berean. So if you were never taught, you can read the Bible and then you know. And then once you know it, you can say, wow, this guy who I call my pastor, he's crazy town. I'm out of here. You know, this uh, uh, this lady who I call my pastor, the Bible says ladies can't be teachers of men, so I'm out of here. You see, Bereans know the truth. The Bereans know their Bibles. And it just blows me away so much for teachers. If you're a pastor, elder, you know, Bible teacher, youth leader, you cannot candy coat. I'm not trying to say be mean, you know, you know, but you cannot candy coat. People will interpret meanness. I mean, look at our study in 1 Corinthians when Paul says, you know, you guys are utter failures to the church, Christians. That's what Paul said to the church. You say that today, Christians, they'll get mad at you. You're utter failures. You say that to the church today, they'll hate you. But when you teach the Bible... Let the people respond how they respond. You love the Lord, and the Lord is number one. The Lord is first. You see? People will leave. And it's sad. It'll break your heart. People will leave. But then people will stay as well. And of the ones that stay, those are the ones that you kill for. And I'm not talking about you kill for, like, you know, you go out on, you know, assassination. No. You kill wolves. You kill the wolves. Man, physically speaking. Supernaturally speaking, metaphorically speaking, you're a wolf killer because the wolf wants to kill the sheep. The wolf wants to kill the lambs. 
But you know what the good shepherd does? Lowercase g, lowercase s. You know what that shepherd does? He kills the wolves. See? Those are the people, the ones that stay, those are the ones you kill for. Those are also the ones you die for. You expend yourself for these people. That's truth. Truth divides. Remember Jesus Christ? He says, I didn't come to bring peace. Do you suppose that I came to bring peace? He's the Prince of Peace. And the Prince of Peace is saying, do you suppose that I came to bring peace? That's hardcore. How is it that the Prince of Peace cannot bring peace? He will bring peace. But not the peace that people think. Inner peace? Have you ever had inner peace? Where the world around you can be chaos, but you have inner peace? That's what the Prince of Peace does. And when the chaos is in the world, the Prince of Peace will come. It's prophesying. It will happen. He says, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. That's what truth does. Divides. And once truth goes forth, people have a choice to make. I want my ears to get tickled. I want my ears to get scratched. So I'm going to go over here to this teacher. I want to feel good about myself. I want to be in sin and I want to feel good about it. There's plenty of teachers for that. I want to be in all kinds of sexual sin. I want to do my little white lies. I want to do my little white crack. I want to do my little white Ouija boards. My little white pornography. And I want to feel good about it when I go to church. There's plenty of churches for that. Baby teachers. Preschool teachers. Remember Paul? You say like, oh, that's so mean spirit. You call them preschool teachers? No, okay, those kind of teachers, the ones that you're going to, you know, you're going to do your little white lies, your little white pornography, your little white crack pipe. I don't call them teachers. I call them wolves. If those will, will tickle your ears and you're going to feel good about that, those are wolves. Those are hirelings. But the ones that are preschool teachers, such is the case in Corinth. When Paul wrote in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 4, he says in verse 14, 1 Corinthians 4, 14, he says, I do not write... Chapter 4, verse 14, he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors, those are instructors here, it's a tutor, but it's a tutor of boys, children, like toddlers. I wonder how big the church in Corinth was. I mean, you hear me liking it to a thousand. I just said a thousand for easy math. But what if the church was like, 20,000. What if the church were 15, you know, 15,000? The, the, the majority of so-called teachers, you know, everybody wants to be teacher. Oh yeah, I'm a pastor. They like, like, they like the title. Oh yeah, I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a youth leader. Everybody likes that. Oh, I'm a leader. Look how awesome I am. You know, pop their collar. Look how awesome I am. And in chapter 4, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians Though you might have 10,000 instructors. So they were teachers. They, they had the title of a teacher. The instructor. 
except disclaimer preschool teachers. How foolish is that? I mean, say you, you're matriculating, you're maturing in Christ. I mean, if, if you're a brand new believer, I get it. If you're a baby Christian, I get it. But say you become a believer, you know, and, and a month later, you're like, okay, I'm done with milk. I want to grow. I want to mature. And two months, five months pass. A year passes. And you're like, I'm, I don't want anything to do with milk because that's for babies. And in the midst of 10,000, you know, teachers, 10,000 teachers, you'd think like, wow, there's a teacher on every corner. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. Look at all these. Look at all this instruction I can get. And so you enroll in higher learning. You enroll in higher academia. I mean, picture this in a, in a worldly sense, in a carnal, in a fleshly sense. You graduate high school. And I teach from America, but, you know, higher learning. You graduate from, I don't know what they call it in other countries. I don't know. But like high school, whatever that is where you're at. But you graduate high school. And then you enroll in college, you enroll in university, you enroll in higher academia. And you're sitting down in the classroom and you're excited. Wow, I'm going to finally learn. This is what I wanted to do. This is my vocation. This is what I'm going to do for a career. This is going to be my job. And I'm, you sit down and you're like, wow, the instructor comes out, opens up his or her briefcase, opens it up and pulls out like little containers full of paint. And it's finger painting. And the teacher says, okay, here's how he puts his finger, puts her, her finger in the little the blue, does a circle. Okay, class, this is how you draw a circle. Like really starts explaining, this is how you draw a circle. And you're sitting there like, what? I learned that, you know, 15 years ago. And you're like sitting there and you're like, the circle? Is this for real? Is this a joke? You look for cameras. Is this, am I on, am I on TV? Is this a joke show? What is this? What kind of show is this? What kind of, what, this isn't. This is unnatural to be in higher academia and learn how to finger paint. Now, I say that in a carnal sense, in a worldly sense, to give you an idea of what's happening in Corinth. That's what Paul is saying. Preschool teachers. In chapter 4, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians, for though you might have 10,000 instructors, translates as baby teachers, in Christ. Yet you do not have many fathers. You see? For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. It's to birth. This word is used for women who give birth to their children. Who give birth to like a baby boy, baby girl. That's the word that's used for a woman giving birth to a child. And Paul says, in Christ Jesus I have given birth to you through the gospel. You guys are my children. That's what he's saying to the church. You guys have these preschool teachers, but that's for babies. You've been under arrested development for three years. What are they teaching you? Remember? Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? Defunct. And look what was happening in the church. Hardcore, hardcore passages that Paul is saying to the church to get them to move on to perfection. Having that backdrop, then you understand why in Hebrews, it is written in chapter 5, you know, for the, by this time you ought to be teachers. But you got to go back to milk. Back to milk. Because, you know, the food is for uh, the spiritual. Those to, to discern the, the, the word of God. 
When that doesn't happen, it's milk. Preschool teachers. I mean, you, you get my, 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 my analogy of college and finger painting, but what about an, an analogy where you're in preschool? Say you have a child and you enroll the child in preschool and you're a parent, first day of class, and you're seeing one kid, two kids, you see your kid there taking pictures, you know? Your proud parent taking pictures, you know? But then you see a guy there, full beard. You see? You see a, an adult female there. Another adult male, full beard, you know, all these things. It's like, whoa, whoa. Is this a joke? Is that a teacher? Is that staff? And no, you find out there. The teacher says, okay, everybody, you know, you know, we're going to pass out these little milk cartons for you to drink, you know, a little nappy time. You have an adult male, adult females, they start drinking. They're like with, with the children. That's what was happening in Corinth. Baby teachers for babies. That's what happens. That's the early church, but we see examples of this in the Old Testament. Look at going back to number 17 now. Number 17, verse 10. When he says, And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels. By this location, who do you think this was a sign for? We have the sign for the people, which is in chapter 16, verse uh, 38 and 39 and 40. The altar, the covering on the altar, that's a sign for the people. But then there's a sign for the priest too, the rod of Aaron. It's a sign against the rebels that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. You see, the Lord put away their complaints and he killed and he destroyed people in prior chapters. But now... The Lord is saying, Moses, you do it. Priest, this is a sign for you. You do it. Just like the Lord, when he destroyed Egypt, the might of Egypt, he did it. He did it. He made himself known. He gave warnings. He gave plagues. And he did it. He fought for Israel. Of the Canaanites... The Lord says to Israel, you guys fight. You guys fight. And they were afraid. You see? They were afraid in Egypt too. But in Canaan, they're still afraid. Or, you know, on their way to the promised land. Or in the command to go to the promised land. And they were afraid. People say, oh, you know, the, the Lord will fight our battles. The Lord's going to fight your battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. And yes, there are, there are passages where the battle is the Lord's. The battle does belong to the Lord. There are passages where, you know, vengeance is His. Yes, there are passages. But there are also passages, it is also written, where we have to fight. And I'm not speaking physically. It's not like, oh, okay, this guy's a false teacher. Let's beat him up. No. You know, oh, this guy's a wolf. Okay, let's beat him up. Let's throw him off a cliff. Let's stone him. No. But when we read about, when we study passages about warfare and combat and fighting, the weapons of our warfare, the helmet, the breastplate, the shield, the sword, what do you think it's for? It's not a costume party. It's not like, yeah, we're going to a costume party. Let's dress up. 
Let's pretend we're these characters. I mean, if you think it's a costume party, you're in trouble. You have to put these on you. I can't put it on for you. I can tell you about it. You have to put it on for yourself. It's not a costume party. It's not like, wow, look at this helmet. Look how shiny it is. You look in the mirror. Wow, look how cool I look. Or the breastplate. Oh, cool. Look, this is awesome. You know, you see the actors on TV. They play the superheroes, the super, the comic book characters. They wear these suits to make their muscles look big, you know. And you're like in the mirror. Wow, look, this, this, this breastplate looks, my muscles look big, you know. This shield, look how cool I look. This sword, wow, look how cool I look. Okay, let's go to the costume party. No, you're supposed to fight. Fight. The good fight. You're supposed to. But how can people fight if they've been enrolled in preschool for three years? How can people fight if they've been enrolled in kindergarten for 20 years? There are multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of preschool teachers. Multitudes. But the Lord has the expectation for us to fight the good fight. To understand, oh, you know, oh, I'll just tell my little white lies. It's okay. I'll do my little white crack. I'll do my little white pornography. You know, I'll do my uh, little white meth from Chiapas, Mexico. You see? No, that's not fighting. That's being defeated. And so this responsibility, how the Lord killed the people in the rebellion, what we studied last week in number 16, now the Lord is saying, okay, Moses, this is on you now. Yeah, I took, you know, I handled business last week or I handled business with Korah. Now, don't let this happen again, Moses. Hey, priest, don't let this happen again. In verse 10, that you may put their complaints away from me lest they die. Whoa. So now another person's life, you are a determining factor in another person's life. Moses, you are a determining factor in another person's life and death. Moses, priests. Yes, that's what the Bible says. Of Moses, of the priest, they are a determining factor in another person's life or death. Whoa, that's hardcore. I'm glad that was for thousands and thousands of years ago. No, 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 no. Hold on a second. Are you a pastor? Are you an elder? Are you a Bible teacher? Are you a youth leader? Do you want to claim the title of a ministry leader? Those who hear you, their lives... You are a determining factor for their life or their death. Not this life. This life, we're, we're all going to die. It, it, it's appointed for every man to die and then judgment. I'm talking about the life to come. You want to claim the title of a ministry leader? Pastor, elder, deacon, Bible teacher, youth leader. You want to claim that title? Okay. You better make sure God called you. Because if you're doing it to feel good about yourself, if you're doing it because of the pride of life, if you're doing it for the money, the glitz and glamour, there's no glamour. 
There's no glamour at all in this life. People's life and death, you are a determining factor in their life and death. The life to come. You say, wait a second, the person died. What are you talking about the life to come? Well, if you're asking me, if you claim the title and you're, and you're asking me that question, uh, that reveals a lot. I'm talking about everlasting life. Oh, death, where is your sting? I'm talking about who has the second death or who is not, does not have the second death. You are a determining factor. You better make sure God called you. Brother James says, let not many be teachers. Let not many be teachers. Because if you claim the title, if you, if you, if you want to claim the title of a pastor, elder, teacher, Bible, you know, Bible teacher, youth leader, if you want to claim that title and feel good about yourself, and the warning in the Bible is let not many be teachers. But if you want to go ahead and claim that title, you and me, we are held to a very strict account. A very, very strict account. You say, whoa, that's scary. Praise be to the Lord. It is scary. That's why you have to please God. You cannot be a man pleaser. Oh, but I want to come to church and feel good about myself. Okay, yeah, you know what? Let's not read Numbers 16 or 17. Let's not read 1 Corinthians or oh, pornography, sex. I'm not going to teach about that. Why? Because I love you more than God. That's the way of the fool. That's the way of the hireling. That's the way of the wolf. You see? The only way you're going to hear the word of God and feel good about yourself. The only way that happens systematically through the word of God, you know, verse by verse, line upon line, the only way that's going to happen is with repentance. Because the Lord, He confronts the carnal man, the carnal woman. He confronts it straight up, head on. He confronts you, He confronts me. And when you yield to Him, I say yield to Him and yield to the word of God, that's kind of glossing over what happens. What really happens when you yield to Him and you yield to the Spirit a lot of repentance. Because you can believe in your little white lies. Oh, I'm going to do my little white Ouija boards. My parents tell my little white, their, their little white lies. You know, my parents tell the little white lies, so I'm going to do my little white crack. You see, mommy and daddy do their little white lies. They do their little white crack. They do their little white Ouija boards. So now I'm going to do my little white pornography. The next generation. You see? Begets, 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 begets to the next generation. And then what do you have? A generation of fools. A generation of idiotes. That's what happens. A generation of babies. That's not good. And in the last days, don't forget that the Holy Spirit will be lifted. Imagine what that world is going to look like. The only ones who will continue to shine. The only ones. When that happens, the only ones, I tell you the truth, the only ones who will continue to shine are the ones who have stored oil for their lamps. Those are the only ones. What the Bible refers to as the wise virgins. 
Those are the only ones. The remnant. You see? The remnant. Let's look at what happens here. In verse 11, in closing. Thus did Moses. So you see, Moses hears all these things, and now thus did. He's a doer. He's a hearer, and he's a doer. Thus Moses. Thus did Moses, just as the Lord had commanded him. So he did. You see, the Lord commands, Moses does. In verse 12, So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish! Exclamation point. And you know, this is kind of a beautiful and sad. It's, 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 it's beautiful and it's sad. It's bittersweet. In verse 12, So the children of Israel spoke to Moses, saying, Surely we die, we perish, we all perish. And it's sad. But then at the same time, they know they're going to die in the wilderness. They know it because of the previous chapters. The Lord said, hey, you're going to die in the wilderness. And in saying this, well, you know, surely we die, we perish, we all perish, exclamation point. The people, they're learning discipline. They're learning chastisement. In verse 13, Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. Wow. So now, on top of learning chastisement, on top of learning discipline, they're also learning reverence. You see? Whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord, tab tabernacle of the Lord must die. They're learning reverence. The tabernacle isn't just, oh, it's no big deal. You know, that mindset of like, you know, oh, it, it, it's no big deal. You know, people walk into a church, they sit down, they enter the sanctuary. They sit down in the pews. Oh, it's no big deal. No, this is where the word is being taught. Sanctuary. And you know, I, I speak of a place, but I'm talking about the holiness of the Lord. Sanctuary, when you open up the word of God, it's holy. It's not, I say the Bible, but don't forget, holy Bible. Holy just as Moses, the Lord told Moses to tell the people, be holy for I am holy. He said, oh, that's Old Testament. Peter also says it, New Covenant. Be holy for the Lord is holy. What does that mean for you and me? We're in the same boat. Let's be holy. Let's be holy. Let's move on to perfection. Let us be a people who... Let us be a people who lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see? For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You see, how beautiful is this? The good shepherd, not lowercase g, not lowercase s, the capital G, the capital S, the good shepherd. You see, 
let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily, not it's difficult to ensnare us, which so easily ensnares us. So easily ensnares us. What are those things which so easily ensnare you, my friend? You hear me talk about sex, drugs, rock and roll, pornography, little white crack, little white lies, little white pornography. Does it so easily ensnare you? Let us lay aside those weights. Lay them aside. Which means what? You have to put them down. And when you put them down, you can run. And not just run aimlessly. Run with endurance. The race that is set before you. And we're going to Zion. Paradise. That's where we're going. A people of the way. A remnant of the church age. A remnant according to grace. So we see in verse 13 of number 17, verse 13. I read from Hebrews 12 what I just read. But in number 17, verse 13, in closing, whoever even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord must die. So the people are learning reverence now. And I love how this closes. A question. It closes in a question. Shall we all utterly die? Wow. Question mark. You know, on top of this lesson that the people are learning and we are learning as well. Look at what the camp of Israel is learning in the aftermath of rebellion, in the aftermath of judgment. Because remember, people died. There in verses 12 and 13, it is revealed that the people are learning chastisement and discipline. They're learning reverence. And with this last question, shall we all utterly die? They're also learning hope. They're also learning faith. They're also learning love. You see, a foreshadowing of what we're about to learn in 1 Corinthians 13 about hope, faith, and love. How powerful this is. Now, I say in closing, but turn with me really quick in closing to Zechariah chapter 6. In Zechariah chapter 6. So remember, the leaders, they all brought a rod with their name on it. And in this bundle of rods or a branch had their names on it. And there was the leaders and there was the high priest. And in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12, Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. You see, everything we read about the branches with the names, a foreshadowing of the better man, capital M, just as is capitalized here. I read out of the New King James Version. Just as is capitalized here, the better man, the better branch, which is in all caps, out of the New King James that I read out of, that I teach out of. I read out of other versions. The King James and Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. But just as you see these capitals, a better man. What we study in Numbers. 
the foreshadowing, an Old Testament foreshadowing of the better man, of the better branch. Verse 12, Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out or sprout up. Very interesting. <laughs> Look at what sprouted with, with Aaron's rod. Look at what sprouted. The glistening flowers. The almonds. Ripe almonds. Not little tiny baby almond, green almonds. No, ripe. Little, not little tiny ones. From his place he shall branch out and he shall build the temple of the Lord. A foreshadowing of Hebrews 3. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne. Remember? High priest in the order of Melchizedek. And the council of peace shall be between them both. Now, them both translates as both offices. Like in, the, in a worldly sense, you might see a company. Say company ABC is at the helm is a uh, Fred Mer Frederick Mertz. Frederick Mertz. He's the president and CEO. Two titles. The leader uh, uh, of the actual company, and he sits as on the board as well. President and CEO, two titles, both offices. And here in verse 13 says, And the council of peace shall be between them both, both offices. What offices? Both king and priest. You see? And not just king and priest. The king of kings, lord of lords, and the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And he will rule. Behold the man whose name is the branch is Jesus Christ, son of the most high God, who is coming again for his bride, the wise virgin. God bless you guys. Love you guys.